Welcome to the Practically Theologians podcast, where we hope once again to bring the theological into the practical realm. I'm back again with Andrew, and we will be talking. Oh, and my name's Josh. Uh, this is our third part. We'll be talking about these mandates that are coming down and how we may respond to them. We're going to remind you once again that we're not here to tell you what to do, that we are giving your this is our personal opinions, things we're working through. We're letting you in the discussion, basically, that's happening in our minds. And we're uh, just getting together to discuss as we each hope to sharpen one another and bring up some perspectives maybe we haven't thought of before. So take it that way. If you really want to figure out what to do, you should be talking to people in your church, your elders, fellow congregants, building one another up that way. We, we don't want to take the place of the church. Did I cover it all again, Andrew? I think so. Um, it might be helpful just to remind everyone uh, that we are kind of just thinking through these things out loud. So it's uh, if anyone's benefiting from this, it might be it might be you and, and myself, Josh, <laughs> the most, because it can be a, it can be a little bit it can seem a little bit unorganized at times. But we are we are honestly just kind of thinking through these things out loud. And so we're just inviting you into the conversation. Yep. Sounds good. All right. So I think we we promised that we would go back and discuss the four levels that the Magdeburg Confession brings out. And those four levels are, as per this website, the not excessively atrocious governor is level one. Level two is the lawless tyrant. Level three is the coercive tyrant. Level four is the persecutor of God. And this is from the website www.intoyourhandsllc.com forward slash, well, that's never mind, forward slash blog forward slash 84. So if you wanted to look at that yourself. So, Andrew, we see level one, the not excessively atrocious governor. You want to explain this? Would you like me to explain? Yeah. I think we'll run through this real quick and then we can ask the question what should we do in light of this? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so so what is the um, the the level one? Basically, what we're looking at here are four four levels or four tiers of the 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 levels of injustice or the way that a governor could um, or anyone in authority could start to um, step outside of their role or um, maybe a, a word that's pretty common today is they start to overreach and they're 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 reaching outside of their constitutional role. That's very important. We've already discussed. The Constitution, uh, the law is king, not the king is law. So when the when the person in a in a role of authority starts to step outside of what the law describes as their their role and um, where their authority lies, so the first level then would be um, the what you call the not excessively atrocious governor um, would be in this case you have a ruler who is in a in a position of authority or a, a governor or a mayor or a president. But we realize that that governor or that that person in that role is a fallen, uh, sinful human being, and we all have natural weaknesses. And so you see the person in this role falling into the occasional vice of misusing his office. So he's falling into the occasional abuse of his role. He's he's got the occasional overreach in his role. Uh, it's 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 the outflow or the result of his natural human weakness. He, he's, he's prone um, to not 
live up to his, to the, the role that he's in perfectly. We all are. Um, so that, that would be the, the, this picture, this level one would be just the human weakness expressing itself in some, some slight overreach within his role. What comes to mind so kind of maybe as a biblical example might be David with Saul when Saul had his fits. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. And then level two, you might get into where Jonathan hides David and then warns David, maybe. you want to go into explaining level two? Yeah. Yep. So level two would be, obviously, you're, you're increasing in the level of injustice. And you call this the atrocious and notorious um, injuries that are taking place. This is the, the lawless tyrant, I think is the, the phrase that we have here for level two. This is The lawless tyrant um, is here in this level two realm or sphere, you have a ruler that is more systematically acting contrary to his his constitutional role. Or so so this governor or anybody in the authority has taken uh, an oath to uphold the constitution. And now you've got a ruler who is systematically stepping outside of that role. So continuously, regularly uh, overreaching or stepping outside of the role um, and and abusing the power, the authority that the Constitution gives him, using his role to exert um, exert pressure um, on or exert his will or his way on people in a way that the Constitution or the law doesn't support. So in this case, it's it's uh, it's more than just this um, this natural human weakness coming out, just kind of these missteps, but it's it's a systematic might even say willing uh, abuse of his office. So, uh, yeah, I brought up Saul and David. And so when Saul is going to kill David, Jonathan hides David, tells David, I'll warn you. David's out there for two days. And then the third day, Jonathan warns him, hey, you better run away because Saul's going to kill you. Would that be a good example of? So of this level two, the lawless tyrant, it, it, the lesser magistrate. So in my example, Jonathan would be a lesser magistrate straight comes and interposes between the individual and the higher magistrate. But that lesser magistrate does so uh, as it's, ba- it, it, it's up to them. Their conscience should be their guide on the one hand. And on the other hand, they're not going to act so what I'm, I guess what I'm getting at is that lesser magistrate doesn't act uh, like they don't take up arms against a higher magistrate at this point. They are simply interposing. They're stepping between. And so this level would assume that the higher magistrate, his lawless tyranny has not spread to the whole community. It's, it's targeted or... It, as they put it here, it might be better to suffer in Christian patience. Yes, to suffer even injuries of this sort and to leave vengeance to God when the injury affects individual men or a few men and when the injury is able to be tolerated without sin. So lawless too would leave room for that lesser magistrate to, to act according to his conscience as to whether this offense was worth suffering through or stepping in to interpose. Yeah. And I think um, it's important for us just to keep in mind here that level, the level one that we were talking about um, the level one injustice uh, is in that case, the, the Christian and the Christian 
is called to uh, just to, to bear that in patience um, and in peace, to be peaceable um, in that situation, recognizing the, the, the human weakness that is there. So as, as people living under that, that ruler who has the, the level one, who is succumbing to the level one overreach, uh, who is his human weakness is causing him to, to have this level one overreach of his office. As people, we are called by in, in scripture, and we can look at this a little bit closer, but we're called to, 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 to bear that, um, to endure that, uh, and to not be rebellious in that situation. And it is, um, it does land um, on the local magistrate, however, or the lesser magistrate to decide whether or not they want to uh, call out the, the the leader that is abusing his office, even if it's ever, ever so slightly. It's it's even, even on a level one scenario, it's up to the lesser magistrate to decide, uh, do I want to remind this person who's in this role of their of their overreach and what the proper limits of their office are. So, and I think that's really important because, like you were just talking about with this level two, and even as we get into level three, um, this interposition um, approach is really really important because what we're not doing is we're not we're we're being very careful not to have a rebellious approach to injustice. That, that's where we have to be really careful is uh, the, the way that Magnaberg puts it out is that you, unless you are, as we get into level four, we'll see this, but unless things are really, really bad, you don't want to step outside of the government structure because the government structure is itself uh, established by God. So you want to make use of the lesser magistrates and the, the, the uh, principle of interposition and seeing the the lesser magistrates step up and and embrace their role and stick with the government structure, the framework, uh, while you deal with those who are abusing it within it, right? Without abandoning the the ruler who is who is sinful and abusing his role, you don't want to abandon the ruler and the framework and everything altogether, um, because then you have anarchy, right? And and Scripture does not call us to be Christian anarchists, so we have to be careful there, right? Oh yeah, because yeah, tied to that is the fact that we too are sinners. Yes, yes. <laughs> so we get to then level three, and uh, this is definitely a step beyond level two. So level three is um, a more intense. It, obviously, it's getting more intense as we go up in the levels. But level three is now when you have the the um, the governor or the person in authority is now. Uh, He's now forcing people to sin. So here we have the the injustice that is happening is um, is is becoming so severe that the magistrate is it can no longer ignore it. The lesser magistrate, the local magistrate, can no longer ignore it. Now the local magistrate is obligated to um, interpose uh, because yeah. the the higher authority is actually coercing people to sin. And so you know now you have. Now, now, this would be the equivalent today of a governor that is that is putting out executive orders that would that would cause people to sin by obeying them um, and saying that you are you are disobedient to the law when you are um, living out your convictions. So therefore, you must obey the law. You must sin um, in order to obey the law. And now the the um, 
the le- local magistrate, the lesser magistrate is obligated to step up in, in, in the level two, the local magistrate can make a discernment call. Uh, he has the, he has the right to step up and interpose, but not the obligation. And in level three, the way we're seeing the way we're, that we're reading it here from the Magnaberg, the the level three situation, the lo, the lesser magistrate or the local magistrate is now obligated to interpose on behalf of the people that he is serving. Which requires, as it's quoted in this document, accurate and true judgment to draw that line between levels two and three. It's a serious thing that involves if there is no peaceful way to resolve it, it involves even the taking up of arms by the ma- by the lesser magistrate. Yep. And then it's also, there's a note here um, from the blog that you, that you referenced. Um, There's an unstated assumption here between level two and level three, that the common people should rely on their local magistrates to discern the difference between level two and level three. So level two being the, again, the local magistrate has the right to step up and interpose. And in level three, the, the local magistrate has the obligation to step up. But it's up to the local magistrate to decide that, not the common people. And so we are to trust and, uh, the, and rely on the, the local or lesser magistrate to make that call and, and not, again, not slide into anarchy and uh, rebellion. Yeah, at this point, I would suggest that the individual has the right especially in our form of government, not only to just vote and to participate in civil rule as far as their calling calls them to, but they also have the ability to appeal. They can appeal to their lesser magistrates, yes. to their sheriff, to their representative, to their senator, oh, to sure. their governor. Yep. yep. That's a good so clarification. I would say that at this point for the individual, that's the actions. Those are some of the actions we can take that are lawful and respectful of those magistrates that are, that are in authority over us because of, because of the laws of our land. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really so good I, distinction. That's a practice. Yeah. Because we're not called to be quiet, right? I mean, I'm, I, when we say that we're relying on the lesser magistrate, it doesn't mean that you don't have the, the right and then even sometimes the obligation to go talk to the local magistrate, right. And appeal. So that, that's, yeah, that's, that's very good. We're, we're not called to just sit back. Yeah. Yep. Right. And, and everybody's gifted in different ways. I'm not saying we all have to do the same thing, but sure. I am yep. saying it's worth it's uh, considering what you yeah. can do yeah. Uh, yeah. with gifts in your colleagues. That's good. Yeah, very good. All right, level four. This is bad. Yeah, so level four is obviously the most severe of the abuses. And so here we have um, the basically a tyrant that is running loose. Uh, and here you have the, the basically the, the person in authority is persecuting, systematically persecuting, the 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 people that are under his authority and the the ruler and this is quoting luther here the ruler has become a bear wolf and the very devil himself so here you have uh extreme persecution and if we're building off of level three this is the ruler now forcing people to sin that that would be included here and it's a it's a yeah just a, a massive overreach and abuse of the person's position um, and, atten- and basically if we were looking at scripture you know when you you see God's design for government which is to to come against those who are who are evil or doing wrong and to reward those who are doing well this would be someone who is probably now calling evil good and good evil um, someone who has completely abandoned all moral principles as God has has described them 
and is uh, basically just becoming their own dictator and tyrant. Uh, and so that requires a different kind of response. This comes in the his- the history of this this confession. It's a Lutheran confession that was written in the fifteen well, it was written in fifteen fifty in Germany, the city of Magdeburg. And what was happening is Charles V was coming against them and wanting the church to adopt doctrine that would bring it into line with the Roman Catholic Church. And mm-hmm. he was doing it being an army. The, the city was actually under siege. And so they were actually in level four. They had these four levels in Texas, but they were in level four when they were. So they were actually withstanding a siege at Magdeburg from their, from their king, I guess. Interesting just to know the history. I don't yeah. know that. I could read more on it. Yeah, that is interesting. It's, it's helpful to, to, to consider the context in which this was written. Yeah, and I, I want thinking of these levels biblically, have you been able to kind of get into thinking through biblically how these are supported? Yeah, um, so the, the one thing that I think that is really important for us to consider um, when we're when we're thinking through these levels and 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 how we would kind of how we would work through them, uh, there is there is one point that I wanted to make that I think is just absolutely critical, uh, especially here in the United States, and that is uh, there are the, the there are four primary passages that I can think of that we would go to um, that would help us understand how we are to live out or how we're to walk out our faith as Christians in relation to government. Uh, one of those would be Romans 13, 1 Timothy 2 would be one, Titus 3 would be one, and 1 Peter 2 would be one, starting in verse 13. Um, and so if what I think is really, really important when we consider this, especially in light of those passages, is um, even as we start to work through these levels, it's really important for us to consider what the context is for each one of those uh, passages, because that helps us as we work through these levels. I'll explain what I mean here. Um, in in Romans thirteen, if we look at that in context, uh, that is in the context of living out your lives as worship to God, and we can see that in Romans twelve when Paul says, "Now go, um, basically, by the renewing of your mind." live out, sacrifice your bodies or give up your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Um, so basically what's Paul saying? Die to yourself by the renewing of your mind and live that out. That, that's what you see in Romans 12. And so, and then he starts to, and then he goes into this, ju- just this, just like a, a machine gun of descriptions of what it looks like to die to yourself by the renewing of your mind as you live out your faith. And you get all of this instruction um, and basically what Paul is doing is he's describing what this looks like and submission to authority lands right in there. Um, and, and right before Romans 13, where you have the submission to authority, you have at the end of Romans chapter 12, you have Paul saying, pray for those who persecute you. Don't re- don't repay evil with evil. Don't take vengeance, leave vengeance to God, live peaceably with all people. Um, and so what are all these things? These are all acts of worship. As you live out your faith, as you live out your faith and you worship God in this life, as you as you rest in Christ and you walk out your faith, uh, that looks like honoring everyone, living peaceably, praying for those who persecute you. You know, he's describing what that looks like. 
And so you get into the governing authorities and that same thread continues. What does it look like to die to yourself by the renewing of your mind as you live out your faith? It looks like submission to authority or submission to the governing authorities, right? So we have to keep that in mind. Paul is describing what it looks like for the Christian to worship God. And he describes that as submission to governing authorities. So if we are to work through these levels, which I think is healthy, if we're to, if we're to work through these levels, uh, we can never depart from Paul's principle uh, of you, your body is now, or your life is now to be lived out in worship to God, the God who saved you, the God who is more amazing than you could ever imagine. So anytime we would start to push back against the governing authorities, anytime we might say something like, in this case, I'm not going to submit to governing authority, it has to be under the same principle of out of worship for God. Let me put it this way, I guess. If we were following Romans 13, literally, we would say out of worship to God, I am submitting to authority. Now, if we recognize that there are times that we don't submit to authority, we would say out of worship to God, in this case, I won't submit to authority. The principle is still the same. I'm still worshiping God. It's just that in this case, I'm not submitting to authority because that wouldn't actually be worshipful. It's actually worshipful to not submit in this particular case. That's vastly different than how Romans 13 is oftentimes described, which is more along the lines of when do we not have to obey the governing authorities? And then it just stops there. You always have, you, you are always called to worship God as you live out your faith. Sometimes it looks like literally submitting to the governing authorities. Sometimes it looks like stepping up and, and uh, refusing to submit to the governing authorities, depending on how abusive they're being of their office. But it never separates from worshiping God, according to Romans 13, 12 and 13. Does that make sense how the context really helps us understand um, what our motives should be for why we would do something like that? Yeah. Yeah. And for, I mean, the whole book of Romans is, is leading up to this point. Our our whole uh, our whole attitude toward life should be shaped by the attitude of our Savior, who suffered for people who definitely don't deserve to be suffered suffered for. Yeah, yeah. And, and if if you take this, then oh, go ahead. Oh, it, speaking of tyranny, that the the rulers of this world crucified the King of Glory. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's that's bad stuff, right there. Yeah. <clears throat> and he could have called down legions of angels, right? Yep. He could have. He could. Hey, if you don't get into the eternal decree and the covenant uh, that he covenanted to do so, but if you just think in yeah. terms of his power, he, yep. he called down legions of angels to come and take him away and slay his enemies, and yet he willingly submitted to the unlawful deeds of sinful men in order to redeem his people. So he suffered yep. as a servant. Uh, it wasn't selfish. Yep. Uh, so anyway. Yeah, that's, re- that's really, really Roman. good that we need to keep that in mind. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. and you get that in First Peter. Uh, and I would just encourage everyone to, to um, go through and look at these passages that talk about submitting to the governing authorities. Because uh, if you look at First Peter, Christ and his submission to God's plan and his submission to the father, the father's plan is on full display as our example. Um, and that includes Peter includes very specifically submitting to governing the, the emperor and those that the emperor sends out. And in Peter's context, 
it's not it's, it's it's an act of worship, but in Peter's context, it's actually proclaiming the excellencies of God. Um, so it's worship, but it's but it also has a, an evangelistic element to it because Peter says that when you when you live out your faith, the the world will look at you and they will wonder how you're able to live out your faith the way that you are, and then they will ask uh, about the living hope that lies in you, and you'll have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. So that that's the that's the the main thrust of of first Peter, the end of first Peter two, and then all of first Peter three, that's what Peter is talking about is when you live out your life in a way that proclaims the excellencies of God, including submitting to authority when it doesn't make sense. And then he, and then he says, like Christ did and gives you Christ's example, then the world will wonder, where do you get this ability? This, this, what is this hope that lies within you that gives you the strength to do this? Um, So, in that case, like in Romans 3, 12 and 13, in 1 Peter 2, we could look at that and say, what's the primary point that Peter's making? He's saying that you proclaim the gospel when you submit to unjust authority. So that's the main point, right? So that doesn't mean that we never um, we never have the, the right or the obligation to, to push back against governing authorities that are abusing their power. We do. But it must always remain attached to the proclamation of the gospel, Right. If I push back against governing authority, it's because they are hindering the proclamation of the gospel. And my pushing back is for the sake of the proclamation of the gospel. So you never and you see that with Paul in the apostles and acts. Right. When when they did disobey and with Christ, when when Christ did uh, push back against governing authority, it was always attached to the proclamation of the gospel or the proclamation of God's kingdom. And it was always out of worship. It's never here's here's the thing that's probably that ruffles feathers, right? It's never primarily for the protection of your national freedoms. That's not the reason to push back. That's not that's not the sole reason to push back. I should put it that way. If you can make a case that protecting your freedoms leads to the spread of the gospel, which I think you can. But if you can make the case that protecting my American freedoms makes the spread of the gospel more likely or um, it's it's easier and in, in, um, the spread of the gospel is more prevalent when American freedoms are kept intact. Then you have a reason to protect American freedom. But you never have the the as far as I can tell in Scripture, and I'm open to be I'm open for discussion here and be corrected. But you never have in Scripture disobey government to protect your freedoms for the sake of your freedom and then no gospel or worship attachment. Right. That that's a that's a very Americanized way to think about how to disobey. And, and but and, you know, I see Romans thirteen, I see first Peter two explain that way. When your freedoms are under attack, you have the right or the obligation to fight back. I don't see that in scripture so much as I see when the gospel and the worship of God is under attack, then out of worship and for the sake of the gospel, you disobey. Yeah. Well there are, there might be two aspects to that too. Uh, in terms of like Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, you could take that and look at it and say the law of my land, the Constitution, actually gives me the responsibility to push back against tyranny, to push back against something that's unlawful, depending on, of course, your situation, your calling, your giftings, your authority yourself. Uh, but to some degree... A Christian who completely ignores what's going on, are they being 
are they are they are they submitting to the authority the governing authority in the United States if it's the constitution that that's been a question of mine throughout this whole thing is does Romans 13 tell us to do nothing when the government is acting unlawfully in the United States or does Romans 13 tell us to do something because we're in the United States and our constitution gives us or our founding documents gives us that responsibility to actually do something as our situation calls us to do. That's one aspect of it. Then the other aspect of it, it, so that's kind of just being a Christian in this country. And then the other aspect of it is, is as a Christian, I should be willing to suffer even death for the sake of the gospel. Paul, Paul was like, eh, what's better to leave or to die, you know, to leave or to stay. Should I die or should I not? I don't know. Uh, I would love to stay for your sake, but boy, to be with Christ would be so much better. And so you see throughout the whole book of Acts, uh, the Gospels, the whole Bible, <laughs> the theme seems to be that God's people, they suffer joyfully. Uh, uh, so yeah, you're absolutely right. Fighting back to preserve our freedom for the sake of freedom does not seem to fit the general tenor of the whole Bible as far as what God calls his people to do. Uh, Because it kind of is a very short-sighted approach to things. So that I think motivation might be a lot of, of what's behind this kind of question, I guess. What is your motivation? Are you committing idolatry in other words? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, that's good. And you know what? I think even uh, you bring up a really good point. Um, that we had talked about in the first podcast with the governing authorities, you know, if 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 we agree that the Constitution is the ultimate in our country, the Constitution is the governing authority, uh, meaning law, right? The the constitutional law is the governing authority. Then, according to Romans thirteen, um, and as we've talked about here with the with the um, the four levels, when someone starts to step outside the Constitution, at some point we can we we put up with it, and then we have the right to push back um, through the magistrates, right, through the mayors and the governors. Uh, and then we and then they even have the obligation and we have the obligation to go make ourselves heard, to make our case to our local magistrate or lesser magistrate to, to have them kind of push back and, and remind the governing uh, the governors and the governing authorities what their what their limits are. Um, and then ultimately to push back um, even further when we see massive abuse where someone is stepping outside the Constitution. Um, but even as we think through all of that, it's always with the um, the motivation of I'm doing this out of worship of my God who has established this government structure to begin with. And I'm doing this in, I'm doing this in a um, also with one eye on worshiping God and with another eye on the proclamation of the gospel as I do it, because, you know, that that's what Paul and Peter have in mind as you submit. You have an eye on government on you have an as you submit even to the Constitution, right, that may be actually motivating you to push back against tyrants as you submit to the Constitution. You do one. You do so with an eye on the worship of God and an eye on the proclamation of the gospel, which completely should be completely shaping the way in which you go about it, um, which should steer you clear of stirring up massive controversy, tearing people down, not praying for your governing authorities, you know, all of those things, when we're soaking all of that in, that shapes the way that we then even, quote unquote, push back, right? Um, so so that it, even when we push back, it should look like Christians pushing back. 
take the log out of your own eye first. Yeah, yeah. And we should do. Yeah, we should. We should be even. I mean, civil disobedience or or pushing back sounds kind of. It's a negative thing, right? It sounds. It can sound harsh, but Christians are called to do so in a way that, again, even as you disobey, even as you push back, the the world will be looking at that, saying. Um, your 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 response to this is one. You're you're pursuing truth and you're pursuing justice, but you're doing it in a way that seems different. Um, even your attitude, you know, how, how the world doesn't know about pushing back against those who are abusing it, and while at the same time praying for the very push the very person that you're pushing back against, right? That that's foreign to the world, um, and so the that that's where the church really starts to can start to shine is that even as we push back, we're doing so out of worship for God and we're desiring that the gospel the, the that proclaims the forgiveness to sinners would be proclaimed. Um, I, I think that that starts to set us apart from the world. And I think that a good litmus test would be this. If the world, if my motivations are the same as the world's, then there's a massive problem because my motivation should go at least one level deeper than the world's. I, we can both want to preserve American freedom. But the world wants to do it for the sake of freedom. We want to do it for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of of worshiping God, because we know that by upholding the Constitution and by um, and by appealing to it as the ultimate authority, as God has designed, we do that out of worship of our God and out of the, the proclamation of the gospel. That's something the world doesn't understand. So we have to be careful when our motivations are exactly the same as the world's. Um, that should give us a huge red flag. Yeah, and so let's get some uh, real quick biblical examples of suffering uh, through tyranny without obeying. So Hodge, like I had mentioned, I think in the second podcast, Charles Hodge had written on this topic, and I had read through it, and I thought something really helpful was his distinction between obedience and submission, and how Christians are not necessarily called to obey, but they are always called to submit to punishment or suffering that comes because of their uh, being under the authorities mm. because Christians are not called to slay the authority to fight back. The Christian is called to be a witness, to be salt, to be light uh, in the, in the world. So an example of that, let's go back to, uh, we could, there are lots of examples, but let's, let's take, you could take the Hebrew midwives, for example, they didn't kill the children they were told to kill. And and they lied to the Pharaoh and said, oh, these Hebrew women, they're, they're really uh, robust and they give birth so quick. We they, The babies are born before we can even get to them type thing. And they're commended for their, their, not, their disobedience to Pharaoh's tyrannical order or unlawful order. Uh, Daniel in Babylon Darius. builds a statue and says, so, well, no, he, he forbids anyone from praying to any other God and Daniel, what does he do? He opens his windows and prays three, three times as his custom is or whatever it was. And Darius like, Oh man, why did I make that law? Now my favorite guy is going to get thrown into the lion's den and die. Uh, but Daniel, he disobeys. He doesn't obey, but he submits to the punishment. God rescues him. Uh, in the new Testament, of course you have multiple examples of, the apostles preaching Peter and John in Acts 4 is a famous one where they are told not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus after being taken into custody. And Peter and John answered the authorities who were the 
rulers, elders, and scribes with the high priest, uh, high priestly family, etc. So the 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 Jewish leaders, Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And at the end of the day, they were, they were let go because they couldn't find any way to punish them. Um, but this is in Acts 419. And so they, they suffered, they suffered, they submitted to the punishment, but they also did not obey the order to not preach. And it's throughout the book of Acts happening over and over. So yeah, that's really, really some good. quick example. That's a good distinction. Uh, and, and Jesus, of course, is the, the supreme example. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. In fact, what was that? So back in, boy, where was it? John, maybe, where he's talking to Pilate. And Pilate is like, so I have the authority. Don't you know? I have the, let's see. Let me find it. Uh, John 19, 19, seven or eight, somewhere in there. Let's see. I'm bringing them crucifixed from Pilate. All right. So Pilate said to him, Jesus, uh, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend, etc. But this this part of where Pilate sought to release him. Pilate, in verse 8, it says, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Pilate was recognizing, hey, wait a minute. It, I, I don't know, but it seems like this guy might not be somebody I want to do this to. He, he doesn't deserve it. And he speaks like this. He seems like, I don't know what Pilate thought. Do you know what Pilate thought? <laughs> I think he was confused. Like a funny thing. Pilate almost scared to do the wrong thing here. Yep. Yep. I think he was quite confused. But the point is Jesus clearly submits, submits to the punishment that is clearly unlawful because Jesus has the very authority uh, to give Pilate his authority. Am I, am I off base there on the authority thing in terms of Jesus, the incarnate son of God? before he was resurrected and exalted as, as far as the, if he had the authority <laughs> at that point I, yeah himself yeah yeah um, anyway well that's yeah maybe untangle that in another podcast <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but i think that the, the point remains though you know the the uh, that that you're making though is really is is um still very um important because you said earlier that he jesus had the ability you know, apart from, like you said, I mean, apart from the the covenant of uh, of redemption and and the that he was committed to the the plan that was in place. At the end of the day, he had the ability to call down whatever power he wanted. He had the ability to even he had the ability to take up um, the power of the Godhead, right? And and to to stop everything. He had the power to do that, and so. I think that it, it that that shows us that we have to be careful not to immediately fall into the the rut or the trap of um well I don't have to because you know I don't have to obey the governing authorities in this place or I don't have to um be concerned with what they're saying or whatever um you know they're they're abusing their their role and I, therefore I don't have to do what they're saying I guess go do my own thing. You know we have to be careful about that because um even if we do have the right it doesn't necessarily mean that we should. 
um, in Jesus' case, the most worshipful thing, the most uh, the most um, God honoring thing, the the most God glorifying thing that he could do was submit to those that he had authority over and go through with the plan. Right. So did he have the right? Sure, he had the right to destroy it all, right? And to blow up the plan and to put Pilate in his place and put everybody that was crucifying him in their place. But he didn't, which, and then when Peter uses him as an example, you know, and Peter says, quote, you know, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Um, So we have to be, that has to be kind of what's soaking into our thinking is there are times to work through these levels, but it needs to be, it needs to come from a place of humility and a desire for peace, a desire for unity, a desire for, um, the, again, the worship and the gospel to be on display and not a, the all too familiar, you're not going to do this to me and I'll show you what's going to happen if you do kind of mentality. We, we have to make sure we don't fall into that. And it's interesting because the two examples that you used uh, are two of the examples that you used. Daniel, he didn't, he, I, like, I love the distinction. He didn't obey the command out of worship for God. He was worshiping God and the command was don't worship your God. And his command and his response was, I'm going to worship my God. Uh, and then he submitted to the, to the consequence. So you've got the idea of worship, right? That we have in Romans 12 and 13. And then the, um, you have the apostles in acts when they are, um, told not to go spread the gospel and they say, um, you know, we're not going to listen in this case, We'll submit to the beatings and everything that comes with it, but we're not going to obey where we are going to spread the gospel. So there you have, um, like we talked about in first Peter two, you have this, the proclamation of the gospel. Um, those two things always in front of us, worshiping God and the proclamation of the gospel. And they're, and they're, they, they go hand in hand. But when those are our aim, I think that that then shapes the attitude that we bring to the table. This is out of worship of my God and, and my desire to see people saved by the proclamation of the gospel that that's the that's the the, if that's our desire and that's our aim then that will shape our attitude yeah that's that's good good stuff due to the length of our discussion we decided to cut this short and go into some practical outworkings of these things later we are going to talk about singing and masks which should be fun if we don't get in too much trouble haha anyway we hope you enjoyed this part and we will look forward to putting out the next one as soon as I can get around to editing it. If you have any feedback or questions or ideas, send those to podcast at practicallytheologians.org. And as always, we hope you enjoy and thank you for listening.